Have you wondered about living elsewhere after you retire? Well, we have, almost daily. As you know, it's not an overnight decision. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about places to consider living in during your retirement. We started this show for selfish reasons, because we will be retiring in the next few years, but we're not sure where. Then a light bulb went off in Jean's head. What are others doing? With so many baby boomers retiring, there must be many relocating. So we decided, let's connect with them and pick their brains. But first, a little background. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney and practicing higher ed law at a college who loves working with students, faculty, and staff. I am not Asian. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I am a law librarian working in a court who loves his job. We've lived in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, New York for many years and have been thinking about our future home. So we'll be speaking to folks from around the country and now around the world who have moved to venues of their dreams and more. And we will share their stories and we will share their intimate secrets. No. I'm just kidding, Jean. But we will provide information that you may not find anywhere else. So stay tuned. Hey, y'all. Today we'll be going to Charleston, South Carolina, with stunning beaches, world-class golf, rich history, delicious cuisine, and no shortage of Southern hospitality. South Carolina provides an incredible backdrop to live a fulfilled retirement. South Carolina is a Palmetto state. Jean, do you know what that is? Palmettos are any of various trees having fan-shaped leaves, found mostly in South America and the southern United States. They are different from palm trees. The main difference between palmettos and palms is the tree size. Palms can top 80 feet tall, while the largest palmetto grows only to about 30 feet. Wow, so they're kind of like babies. Adam Curran is a financial advisor in Charleston, South Carolina. He has his own company with several offices in three cities in South Carolina and has a radio show, which he airs weekly, and a podcast. We will provide this information in the show notes. Adam grew up in Naugatuck, Connecticut. His father was a self-taught mechanical engineer. Oh, wow. And his mother was a professional clown named Sparkles. That's fascinating. Oh, we'll How find cool out more is about that? that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Gene? He studied finance and accounting at Drexel University in Philadelphia. While getting his degree, he had an opportunity to start his career as a runner on the Philadelphia Stock Exchange. Then he worked in the hedge fund industry before seeing the need to start his own firm. Today, he's the owner of Current Financial Partners. Their mission is to serve hardworking families like the one Adam grew up in and to bring them a level of care and financial sophistication that the wealthiest individuals in our countries receive. He and his wife, Anna Claire, have two young boys and a third child on the way. Also, Adam is a servant to his golden retrievers, Alice and Piper. He's a lover of all things golden retriever. Adam's love of his adopted state of South Carolina is demonstrated in his dedication of his book, Retire Y'all, Your Guide to Retiring in South Carolina. In the dedication to his children, he writes, you will be born and raised in the greatest country on the face of the earth, in the best state there is to live, with parents who love you more than you can possibly fathom. Remember, money is not everything, unless you don't have any. 
Whatever you decide to do with your lives, be great at it. Show up early, leave late, smile along the way, and the world will be your oyster. When not in the office, you can find the current family searching the beach for shark teeth whoa, and visiting many playgrounds that Daniel Island, South Carolina has to offer. So welcome to Retire There, Adam. Before you talk about what makes Charleston and South Carolina in general a great place to retire, please tell us about how your parents' careers influenced your career path and your life in general. Yeah, that was some kind of intro. I noticed right <laughs> off the get-go, you know, you said, hi, y'all. Y'all doesn't quite roll off your tongue up there. <laughs> That's okay, though. We won't, we won't hold you to that. You, <laughs> you'll get a it. Lot. I'm a carpetbagging Yankee in my own right, so I, I'm just learning how to say y'all. And my wife is a Southern belle, so ah. uh, you'd be surprised if you come retire down here in Charleston, you'll start saying y'all after a few years. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's but no, cozy. Yeah, uh, interesting way to grow up. My, my dad from Connecticut, of course. And if anyone spent any time in Connecticut, Connecticut used to be a big defense hub. You know, we had yes, uh, still is United Technologies, and and also if you know anything about Connecticut, a lot of those jobs have since moved elsewhere. And uh, we had a guy named Joe Lieberman who was a senator there, and and he was um, a big one in getting a lot of money for the defense industry. Eventually, kind of wells started to run dry. So dad was always worried about his job security. Because of that, I don't think someone wakes up and says, I want to be a clown out of (laughs) thin air. I I think what happened, mom said, I got to bring some money to this kitchen table in case um, Bob loses his job. So we were at a birthday party. I I can remember it like it was yesterday. The the reason my name is Adam is because I'm the youngest of like eight girl cousins. And I'm, I'm the first boy. Right. Oh, wow. And these girls tortured me. They would dress me up in, in dresses and makeup. And <laughs> so I was hiding from them in the kitchen. My mom was washing dishes. My my aunt was settling up with the entertainer for the birthday party that we were at. I remember it like it was yesterday. My mom said, did you just pay that woman $100 to make kids laugh for an hour? And that entire car ride home, the business plan for Sparkles the Clown was born. And my mom and dad put that together and and so my entire life, mom was a professional clown. I remember my first job was making a nickel to twist animal balloons. Um, so I've got all those tricks. And it was a very interesting way to grow up. But it, it, it made me who I am because money was always the topic of conversation at my kitchen table. Right. Dad would come home and and we'd read between the lines that he was worried about getting laid off or he would talk about how his company stock was performing. Sure. And mom would come home and, and say, hey, I made, you know, I had three birthday parties and the first one was a great kid. The second one was a little brat, but the parents tipped me. So all is right in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and That's money a was great story. the topic of conversation. So yeah, yeah. Um, from a young age, I realized that I needed to bring my money making story to the kitchen table. So I started shoveling snow and pulling golf balls out of the municipal golf course <laughs> pond and life was easier then. And and I amassed a little bit of money and started investing in stocks and lost a bunch of money and then learned a bunch of hard lessons. And then I told that same story with a little more detail to the admissions department of Drexel University. And I got a really nice scholarship to go there and, and nice. the rest is history. Wow. wow. That's such a great story. You know, it's interesting because the defense industry is uh, is slowly actually coming back. Our son just graduated college and he uh, got a job offer from General Dynamics Electric Boat. Yeah, he was first going to uh, Groton, 
Connecticut. Oh, cool. They're hiring about 2000 people a year in the last two years. Wow. And yeah. Yeah. And then they said, no, actually, you're going to be in Quonset Point in uh, Rhode Island. So we <laughs> just moved him there about two week, a week and a half ago. Cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, so that's so all. Hopefully you have a job for a while, though. Well, yeah, there's well, probably going to be a lot of jobs simply mm-hmm. because of how many people are leaving the Northeast and invading my lovely Pluff Mud state <laughs> down here. <laughs> Those people's jobs need to be filled. So that, yeah. that probably uh, will lend itself to yeah. job opening. Yeah, yeah. So well. let, let, let's find out the hard facts and then we want your opinion. So for those who are interested in retiring to South Carolina, would you recommend uh, Charleston and why? Yeah, I mean, I, I did. Obviously, we probably help more people retire in the state of South Carolina than anyone I know. So we have a lot of experience talking with lots of different people. It, it's interesting. Uh, you talked about having a few different markets, uh, a few different offices. We have our footprint in Myrtle Beach, in Charleston, and Hilton Head. And of course, there's the upstate places like Greenville and you mm-hmm. know the mountains and things like that. But I, I have a really good feel of Hilton Head, Charleston, and, and Myrtle Beach. And, and the funny thing about those three places, of course, Myrtle Beach is the northmost, and then it's Charleston, and then Hilton Head is the southernmost. And each one of those cities is only but an hour and a half away from each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But each one of those cities has a unique, specific feel for a different type of retiree. Like, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown. I find people in Myrtle Beach, they don't really care to acclimate to the Southern hospitality. They don't really care to say Hmm. y'all. They just want to be warm and play golf and drink beer. And (laughs) God love them. Those are my people. Like I love (laughs) Myrtle Beach people because they're always looking to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Folks who move to Charleston now, you know how this grandbabies change everything. Do y'all have any grandbabies yet? No, no. thank God. Some people they get a grandbaby, they don't care where they're gonna move anywhere. I'll, I'll move That's true. to the That's middle true. of nowhere to be near that grandbaby. Mm-hmm. So Charleston has a lot of individuals moving here because there's a lot of yuppies like me here. There's a lot of younger people who who find Charleston to be a charming cultural hub. Uh, there are a lot of younger employers. There's Boeing, there's bigger employers here in Charleston, whereas Myrtle Beach is a little bit more. Uh, travel and leisure driven, mm-hmm, mm. um, which naturally the younger people are going to go to where the jobs are. People in Myrtle Beach would probably say Charleston looks at them through their nostrils. It's a little bit more cultured. Mm. Uh, fine dining is abundant here. It's obviously so it's- much bigger. I think it's the biggest city in, in, in South Carolina. I think I just read that the other day. But it, it's probably more for the retiree who wants to move to a southern state and really acclimate to the Southern lifestyle. Now, if someone who was born and bred in Charleston were to hear me say that, they would probably like, you know, scoff because they've witnessed this city absolutely get turned on its head. I've been in Charleston for 10 years. When I moved here, I lived on a dirt road. There are no more dirt roads in Charleston. Charleston mm. is becoming like a metroplex. It's growing like a darn weed. Uh, and with that growth, it's losing some of that Southern charm. It's losing some of the... Uh, it's rare to find someone who's born and raised in Charleston. Now, when you find them, like you transient, like yeah. it, it's almost like a golden ticket. Charleston different than Myrtle beach in that it's bigger, more young people, more culturally kind of diverse. And then finally you go down to Hilton head and, and Hilton heads kind of a combination of Myrtle beach and Charleston. I think people in, in Hilton head are a little bit more, I don't know, hoity toity. 
Mm. Not in an insulting way, but everyone lives in their gated community, egret sound or great heron way, like everything has yeah. seabird name to it. Yeah. And, and people like going to the beach and golfing yeah. and you don't have kind of the, the, the redneck Riviera feel that Myrtle Beach has with the big mm. beach stores and the mm-hmm. Ripley's mm-hmm. Believe It or Not yeah. Wax Museum and <laughs> great some of the hokey stuff that Myrtle Beach has. And, and yeah. look, I say that stuff not as a joke because I absolutely cannot wait to bring my kids. My parents live in Pauly's Island, which okay. is right in between Myrtle Beach and Charleston. Okay. I cannot wait till my kids are old enough and I can drop them off at grandma and grandpa's and they could bring them to the water slides and the mini golf and the Ripley's Believe It. Like that stuff's incredible for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so each one of those places has a completely different feel, even though it's about an hour and a half away from each other. Interesting. So. If you were considering retiring in South Carolina, I would tell you, go to each one of those places and spend a few days. Mm -hmm. Not to mention every single one of those places is an absolutely incredible place to go on a vacation. Right. They're gorgeous. Yeah. So would you say the healthcare is similar in those three places? Do they differ? Charleston is going to be the best for the healthcare. But here again, here again, you're an hour and a half away. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a, a lot of my clients in Myrtle Beach and Hilton Head, if they're just going in for obviously routine visits or dermatology, th- things like that, they're just going to be able to get that care right there in, in Hilton Head or Myrtle Beach. And also when you're in Hilton Head, you're awfully close to Savannah as well. You're, mm-hmm. you're, in fact, you might even be closer to Savannah than you are Charleston, probably only by about 30 minutes or so. But Charleston has the Medical University of South Carolina and a lot of more specialized medicine and surgery and you're going to go there. So mm-hmm. the, the healthcare is probably a touch better in Charleston, but I wouldn't let that steer you. In, in the book I wrote, I have a whole chapter on healthcare. Mm, good. And if you read like Wallet, there, there's a bunch of surveys out there. And, and South Carolina was ranked as having a pretty bad healthcare score. And the way they score that is by like life expectancy and medical outcomes mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and uh, access to care. I would say the reason South Carolina is not getting a, a glowing score is because there's a lot of suburbs in South Carolina where you are, are truly out in the sticks. You're in the boondocks. Uh, and when you factor those parts of South Carolina, it's a big state, too, compared to what people are accustomed to down up in the Northeast, where you, know, you could drive through a state in a couple hours. On the coast of South Carolina, the medical care is phenomenal, and it's only going to get better as people move down here. And capitalist pig doctors, and I say that in, in the most um, polite way ever, because I myself am a capitalist pig, <laughs> they see the droves of individuals moving down here and, and they want to open up shop in their own right. So mm-hmm. uh, the medical care, if you're if you're doing a Google search, it might say, oh, I don't get good medical care down that way, but it ain't bad on the coasts and it's only getting better. Okay. Okay. What yeah. about the cost of living? Here again, each market's going to be very different, Right. But that's what drove people to South Carolina, the, the first wave, so to speak, of individuals who moved down to South Carolina. The cost of living is still yet very affordable comparative to where most individuals are coming from, right? And one of the main reasons behind that is property taxes. Uh, I don't even want to guess what you guys pay in property taxes where you're at right now. We're, we're not so bad because we're in New York City, which isn't so bad, but... 
The suburbs are just yeah. Long Island is a lot more, and, and Westchester County is outrageous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My parents lived in a fifteen hundred square foot home that I think they bought out of a Sears catalog. <laughs> Literally, they were paying it, the, the the property taxes on that property are ten x the house the property taxes on what they pay down living on a golf course in South Carolina. Wow. So when you start bean counting. And you look at your biggest expenses that you have on a day-by-day basis. Of course, gasoline is the cheapest in South Carolina than anywhere else in the country. You're, you're not going to... The cost of real estate here right now, as it is everywhere in the country, real estate's just booming. But in particular in South Carolina, you used to be able to come down here and, and get a smoking deal on a house. That ship has sailed, I would say. Now, mm-hmm. if you're accustomed to buying real estate in New York... Right, where you pay a million dollars for a thousand square foot apartment, <laughs> you might still think it looks cheap. Right. Uh, but if you're a middle class, mass affluent individual, real estate is not as lucrative and cheap as it once looked like. Um, but I would tell you the places where individuals are really going to save on money and why people still yet view South Carolina as a, a low cost of living state is property taxes. Gasoline's cheap, but maybe what you you make up in in costs of gasoline, you're going to turn around and spend at the golf course or eating grits and collard greens and buttermilk fried chicken and all the good restaurants we got down here. <laughs> okay, okay, that and, sounds fair. In your book, you say that 150 people a day are moving to South Carolina, and two thirds are over 50. You think it's more than that now since the pandemic? Well, the book's not but two years old, and I got that right from like the South Carolina Department of Travel or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I bet you it is. I bet you it's changed. You know, the thing about this place is, is people. You wouldn't believe how many individuals I've met, young folks who came here on their honeymoon and they just decided to stay. Wow. And, and, and I will tell you, those numbers are pre-pandemic, right? Because I wrote the mm-hmm. book before COVID. The pandemic, as you know, has had droves of individuals from Chicago and New York and in cities that were a little bit more restrictive, get out of Dodge and realize that people have a little bit more liberty down here in South Carolina. Say what you will about it. But people put their walking shoes on and move down here. So yeah, I got to believe the numbers are a little bit higher than than what what I quoted there in the book because it was pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Also in the book, you um, you say that South Carolina ensures that you don't end up the wealthiest person in the cemetery, which may be even worse than running out of money. What do, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not South Carolina that does that. That's that's just good financial planning. And, and, and what I mean by that, break into kind of financial planning in general is, we were talking off air and you said you like to focus on individuals who are looking to retire and live abundant lives, whether it be traveling gypsies or uh, just moving abroad or moving to a, a city that they always admired. F- financial planning, 80% of it is, is emotions and psychology. Only 20% of it is, is dollars and cents. I find the lion's share of individuals are able to retire sooner than they thought was ever possible. And the folks who we work with are probably able to retire off of more on a monthly basis than they think is possible. But they have this healthy level of paranoia, of financial fears that get drilled into our heads, cluttering their mind's eye. So individuals are always worried, what about if the market crashes? What if I get sick? What if we have inflation? What if there's a change in political party? I mean, insert financial fear here. And and what causes all of that, that, that fear and uncertainty causes people to kind of peck at their money like chickens. 
And they'll say to me things like, Adam, I could make it work off of my social security and my pension. And maybe I'll take a little bit for my retirement accounts as I need it, or I'll wait till I'm 72 and I'll take a required minimum distribution. And they live these lives of, of miserdom and being spendthrifts. And when we illustrate that out in a very mathematical way, what comes to light is someone might retire with a half million dollars. And if they live this this frugal life where they peck at their money, by the time they're age 80 or 90, they're going to have like $1.2 million. <laughs> and when I illustrate that for people, people go, that's not how I want my life to live. I don't want to be you know, pushing up daisies and wealthy. Like I want to have some fun with this money. And then on the opposite side of the spectrum, some people come to me and say, I've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul. I want my last check to bounce. I came into the world naked and screaming. I'm mm-hmm. leaving the same way. Like, we can illustrate that for you too, but what most folks really want to do is live somewhere in the middle there, right? They want to take their half million dollars. They want to generate an extra two, $3,000 a month of spendable money that they can use to create experiences. And they want to know darn well when they are 80, 90, or 100 years old, they're not going to be a burden to their children. They're not going to leave their, their, their surviving spouse up a creek. And it's not South Carolina that ensures that. Heck, you, can, you could make sure you're not the wealthiest person in the cemetery in any state. Uh, It's just mathematics. So my advice to everyone is have a living, breathing document or a measuring stick that you can take inventory of your life savings on an annual basis and give yourself permission to spend the money. If I'm a young man, I'm not even 40 quite yet, but I've had the great opportunity of, of talking with thousands of retirees. And if there's anything I've learned from those conversations is life is very, very precious and you got a heck of a lot more energy and, and willingness to, to travel and, and jet set when you're in your 60s and in your 70s than you're going to have in your 80s and in your 90s. Yeah, agreed. And typically, when you're in your 80s and your 90s, you're going to be a little bit more sedentary if God even gives you your 80s and your 90s. So design a plan that gives yourself permission to spend your money and spend your money joyfully. So that's the premise of the practice. That's the premise of the book as well. Is part of that fear, I guess people are now living longer, right? So um, like when we're doing this show, we joined a bunch of um, groups on Facebook just to see what's going on in that community because where I consider myself retiring early because I thought I would retire at 65. So I bit the bullet and left a little earlier. And unfortunately, Gene is working a few more years and I'm trying to get him <laughs> to leave because he's much more energetic today than he will be, you know, let's say five years from now. Um, although he's on the Peloton every day. So hopefully that'll <laughs> that'll, you know, lengthen his life. But do you think that age is a factor? I mean, we see on these Facebook groups people saying, you know, I'm only going to live on Social Security. And to me, that's that's a little tight. Um, but then there are people that say, I have a million, but I'm going to hold off on Social Security until the max period, like I'm 70. Um, you know, I know I'm throwing a lot of things out there, but but a million, I think, is a lot of money. It sure is. There's two things that's baked into what you're saying there. One, I, I think what, what happens is a, a lot of people in our you know, plastic society that we live in 
Um, heck, you got a lot of it going on up there in New York. Every time I go to New York, the first thing people ask me is, what do you do for work? And it's like, yeah, that's really, terrible. is that how we're going to start our conversation? You <laughs> yeah. Know? Yep. Uh, yep. That is one thing you don't face down here in South Carolina. No one mm. cra- gives a crap what bank you work at. Mm. Um, <laughs> so, good. but people kind of are living like dismissed to keep up with the Joneses. And then, and then people who are more like my mom and dad and people who put their nose to the grindstone and paid off debt and saved 10% of their income, look at the guy driving the Porsche or the BMW who takes their family to Turks and Caicos and has the perfect kids and goes, well, I don't have as much money as Tom over there. Tom's, you know, far more wealthy. That means I got to keep working. Um, there's a lot of that going on. I, I regularly remind people of this. Like only like 7% of the American population are millionaires. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't believe how many individuals come into our office. They got a million bucks and you know, either husband or wife are held up on, I can't retire. I got to make it to 65 because that's when Medicare kicks in. Well, mm-hmm. look, there are a number of ways in which you could secure health insurance without waiting until you hit of Medicare age, right? The way the Affordable Care Act works is, you want to believe how many millionaires we get 100% fully subsidized health insurance through the Obamacare exchange. That's wow. just how it works. If you keep your income under $69,000, you're going to get health insurance for next to nothing. Mm, um, to know. But that's getting into the X's and O's. Yeah. But from a mindset thing, you said two things. You said um, people who have a million dollars and are still worried about retirement. That tells me they're not doing math right? They're operating based off of a feeling, right? And anytime you let your feelings dictate your financial destiny, it's going to lend itself to you making a bad decision. Because typically, if you got a million dollars, you got this little healthy squirrel level of paranoia where you're just stashing money aside. (laughs) And the act of retirement is terrifying, right? You spent your entire life paying off debt and trying to get pay raises and saving money. And then all of a sudden, someone rings a bell and says, hey, uh, you're old now. It's time for you to spend all the money. And naturally, people are going to be freaked out by that. It's like, whoa, that's not what I do. I save the money, not spend right. it. Right. Well, if, if you mathematically lay out a, a strategy on how you're going to spend the money, you'll very quickly see that you're going to be able to live off of more than you ever thought was possible when you factor in social security and pensions and, the, and the taking a sustainable drawdown. And then when you lay that out until you're 100 or 110 years old, that'll put the longevity thing to rest. Mm-hmm. Too many people are making financial decisions based off of feelings and they're not doing mathematics. I think that's just the human way, though, right? I mean, it's so hard. Yeah. You know, we get together with a group of uh, friends at dinner and we talk about this because we're all around at that age. And we say to ourselves, well, you know, I've gone to two financial advisors and they say this and that we're good. But you're right. We are so driven by emotion. And our friends are too. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? Should you seek out another uh, opinion? And and had, I mean, it's very hard to tell people. Well, let me give you a real simple right? analogy, right? Because <laughs> financial advisors use a lot of $20 words to explain $3 concepts so they can charge you a $5 commission. So <laughs> that's a good so one. I, I went to Drexel to be an engineer. My dad wanted me to be an engineer. Hmm. And ah. they put me in one of these big conference rooms and, or, you know, auditorium halls. And they said, look to your left, look to your right. One of you isn't going to be here. And I was good <laughs> enough at math to go, I'm not going to stay in this. I'm going to go to the business administration people. They're all having fun and learning how to tap kegs. So I went that direction <laughs> instead. Um, but anyways, imagine, uh, use that analogy of a million bucks or a half million bucks. Imagine all your money was just in a shoebox, right? 
And that shoebox, as you know, would not earn any interest at all. It would just sit there and, you know, fester and hopefully, you know, mice don't eat it. But it would just sit there in that shoebox. If you were to pull 4% out of that shoebox, say a million bucks, that's that's $40,000 a year, 3,500 bucks a month. Well, a little less than 3,500 bucks a month, right? You're pulling that out. And even if you make a 0% rate of return on your money, your money's going to last 25 years, right? 0% rate of return, 4%, 25 years. Mm-hmm. If you're 65 years old, that gets you to age 90. <laughs> what if you found a magical shoebox that simply made you 2% per year? Right, right. right. Now your money is lasting into, into your hundreds. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't have to be that complex. Now, I'm not recommending you put a million dollars in into a CD that makes 2% per year, but you could. Yeah. If you just yeah. don't want to look at this crap, you could mm-hmm. just do that. Yeah. When I look at it from that view, it's like, why is everyone complicating this? Like, mm-hmm. and when you look at it from that lens too, it becomes abundantly clear that the only thing that screws up a well-funded retirement plan is if you take too much risk or you get sick. Yeah, that's true. Protect yourself against the big stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have some sort of mechanism that helps pay for long-term care. If God forbid you lose your marbles and you need someone to come check up on you at your house or you get confined. Right. And make sure you're not betting the farm and trying to be the talk of the cocktail party, making erratic bets with your with your investments. Like yeah. smooth out the ride. And when you do the math on that, like the shoebox analogy, you'll find that you can retire and you start like mathematically calculating what your social security is going to be. I find most of the people who gravitate to my messaging are living off of more in retirement than what they made while they were working. Wow. Is that right? It's still scary though. Yeah. Yeah. That's really hard to believe that these people are able to kind of flip and psychologically accept that. And they're willing to spend a little more now. That's what you're saying. It takes some time, though, like anyone who's retired before will tell you it's not like on off, right? Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. that it's terrifying. And then after a year passes, you go, holy crap, I've been retired for a year. And then you go, how the heck did I get everything done that I got done while I was working? Because I'm busy as ever. (laughs) And then you blink, you take another trip around the sun, then you're retired for like five years and you start saying to yourself, I wish I did this sooner. Good point. Hey, listeners, listen to Adam <laughs> making very good points. But you, you talk about um, long-term health care, um, if you have to have that. In your book, you talk about something called qualified health care. Is it planned? Qualified health care riders. Yeah, yeah riders. So, so I, ju- I just said that the, the two things that can really screw up a well-funded retirement plan are um, you know taking too much risk, which is easy to solve. Just plop some of your money in some boring investments that you know, or savings instruments, um, but getting sick, right? And the average cost of care in this country for, I'm talking long-term care, right? So yes. Medicare, of course, is going to cover the first 100 to 150 days of any expense. So it's not costly to die of a heart attack. Like it's not costly to go into hospice for a month or two. Right. It gets costly when you need someone to, you know, help you bathe and, you know, you lose your cognitive abilities, um, that can run you about seven, eight thousand dollars a month. That's in South Carolina. Up where you're at, it's probably close to double that, perhaps. Wow. wow. So how long is your money gonna last if you have to pay for all your other expenses and tack on top of another seven, eight thousand dollars? So what happens to a lot of individuals is they'll spend through all their money, they'll do what's called a Medicaid spend down. 
and then they're officially a ward of the state. So one way you can protect yourself from that was you buy what's called a long-term care insurance policy. Long-term care insurance, in my opinion, is an absolute ripoff. It's one of those insurances that you fork over money month in and month out for something you hope you never need to use, right? right? Like auto insurance. Mm -hmm. Tack on top of it, there used to be like 50 carriers that offer the stuff. Now there's like four. (laughs) They all fought each other. Actually, if anyone's worked with uh, a loved one who's needed their long-term care policy, they fight with you. They make it darn near impossible to even utilize this stuff. It's just a nightmare. Wow. So your options used to be either by long-term care or you self-insure. And if you self-insure, you run the risk of blowing through all your money and finding yourself on Medicaid. Mm -hmm. In the last 10 to 15 years, there's been a multitude of accounts that kind of meet in the middle. And I call them qualified healthcare riders. And the way in which they work and why people like them is it's a way in which you can leverage your money up to help pay for long-term care. But if you don't need long-term care, you have outs. One of three things happens to all of us in life. One, you might just meet your maker in a recliner after a big meal. (laughs) If that happens, all of the money in that program goes to your heirs, right? So you haven't thrown it into the insurance wishing well that is long-term care. Two, if you put money in one of these accounts and then you grow a wild hair and you go, you know, I want to retire to Ecuador like them or... I want to go uh, go to a care facility in Mexico and get treated like a king or a queen for one third of the price. Medical tourism is going to be a very real conversation being had in this country if it isn't already. Yep, um, yep. You can always take your money out of that program and run and go someplace else. There might be an early withdrawal penalty or they might slap you on the wrist on the way out the door. But the point is you can get your hands on the money. And what's that called again? I'm sorry. So, so I'm, I'm describing a concept called a qualified healthcare rider. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's a chapter in the book that talks all about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly, if you need long-term care, care, either at home care or confinement care, if you can't do two of your six, what are called activities of daily living, a feature of the account kicks in and it doubles the money that you have in the program or the benefit that the account pays out to help you pay the, for the added cost of long-term care. If, if, Long-term care is a concern of yours. That's how I would recommend you address it rather than buying a big clunky long-term care policy you're going to have to fork over money every single month for. Right, right. We're right with you there because when we spoke to our guys a bunch of years ago, they recommended it. They said, you know what? I know someone who at the age of 40 all of a sudden got a diagnosis of, you know, MS and uh, thank God they had long-term care, but you know, we spoke to other people and they said, yeah. uh, I don't know if it's yeah, such a good long-term idea. Long-term people care don't get people, it. and same life insurance people do this crap too. They like to scare you. Mm-hmm. And I guess that I shouldn't say it's all bad, you know, but you're talking about in a very rare anomaly of a case, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, typically, people who need long-term care are going to be in their late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. right? Lord mm-hmm. knows we all know someone who had MS or yeah. Yeah. Garrett yeah. disease that mm-hmm. needed care and Mm-hmm. And, and it's awful to hear those stories. Yep. The, the prototypical long-term care salesman speech is uh, almost like what I talked about with Drexel. 50% of you are going to need long-term care. Look to your left, look to your right. One of you are going to need it, right? Well, what they don't tell you is of the 50% of the people who are going to be confined to a care facility, probably 75% of them are going to be in hospice, meaning they're only going to be in there for like three months, six months. Yeah. 
like for instance, most forms of cancer or heart disease, like heart disease is the number one killer, right? People who have heart disease generally aren't finding themselves in long-term care facilities for 10, 15 years, right? right? right. It's Alzheimer's, dementia, yeah. um, you know, MS, Parkinson's, things like that, that are, are, are going to be so, so sure. Many of us are going to die in a hospice bed. The good news is you're not going to be there for four years. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be there for a few months and be administered end of life care that makes, that enables you to, you know, rest peacefully. Right. That's great. Let's, let's get back to, to South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, we're talking uh, about some pretty morbid <laughs> crap here, aren't we? I'm sorry. No, sorry, no, 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 no. Don't, don't be sorry. That was so helpful. No, that was so helpful. Was and, you know, we should probably do an episode just on financial <laughs> information because um, we have listeners who are budgeting, budgeting, trying yeah. to figure out where they should move. Right. There is so much data out there. U.S. News and Forbes releases, you know, best states to live in and why. And much of it revolves around these conversations. So I think it's really important that, like you said, we may pay more up here. Luckily, we're in Brooklyn, so property taxes aren't that high, believe it or not. You know, people say, how do you live in Brooklyn? How do you live in New York City? And we say, uh, we're here and we're not we're not scrounging. We're actually <laughs> living quite comfortably because, look, 20 years ago, we bought this house. You guys get grandfathered up there, right? Like, so you keep your your rate like we're at was right it's not how it works i I feel like i've met some for real estate tax yeah no as a matter of fact we didn't it's funny in in our section of brooklyn we pay more than people in park slope pay because they're grandfathered but our section of brooklyn is not grandfathered so it's not all of new york city i I have worked with a guy who's not fair manhattan and he's like i'm the poor person in my building because all these rich people are buying properties but he was able to keep he, his property taxes didn't assimilate to the wealthy bankers around him. It basically stayed. And he says, that's the only way I was able to continue to live in that building. Yeah. Um, and luckily he sold it, had a big liquidity event, moved down to Myrtle beach. And now he's living like a King on the sale of his Manhattan. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. Two Good bedroom him. condo. Wow. I mean, I'll tell you, people say, how do you find housing? And I think, that's the big thing right now. The cost of housing is in, you know, is is booming. We couldn't purchase another home in Brooklyn if we tried. So unless we sold the house. Unless, well, yeah. The cost I thought of, everyone was leaving New York and Brooklyn. Real estate's still doing <laughs> strong up there. Oh yeah. But, oh well, yeah. Well, especially well, Manhattan's different. Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan's a little different. D- during COVID was down a while. Now it's coming back. Yes. But but the the outer boroughs, which are which are different than them in manhattan they were going up the whole time yeah got it yeah so um, people could spread out a little bit more out yeah 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 like we live in a dead end it's kind of quiet yeah it's, it's yeah. different it's different than manhattan but you know manhattan is not the end all you know be all and and well now it's brooklyn but um <laughs> but the five boroughs are they're thriving and i think that people like to be up here because everything is so accessible i mean granted not everyone um, has a car and drives, but you really don't need to. Yeah. So you can access healthcare. The big thing for us is the weather. Um, but with climate change, I mean, who knows? We've had this crazy summer, right? Yeah. Like really crazy summer. And but when when the winters are hard, um, you know, the shoveling, we we just don't want to do that anymore. You know? No, I don't blame you. But, yeah. but you're but you're right though. During during COVID, a lot of people moved out of Manhattan. And the prices, the rental prices and the purchase prices went down. But 
they're, they're coming back up and people are people are moving back a lot of a lot of young people move back to their parents' houses, but uh, apparently you'll hear, you'll hear some boo birds back. saying New York is dead, and uh, I don't buy that for a minute. Uh, that's, yeah, be in New that, York. New York will always have a, a lure to it. Yeah, that's it's definitely not true. You know, New York is wonderful, but we lived here so long. We've 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 yeah. had enough. It's 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 great. There's so many shows you can see, and you can see <laughs> bands if you want, and there's just so much to do. And but, but it's also chaotic, but you it's know. Also, it's a hard place to live. Yeah, yeah. It's a hard place so to live. There's so many people here. Yeah, it's yeah. so crowded. Yeah, it's it's a tough all, place to live. All my friends, I got a lot of friends in New York from Drexel and stuff, and all of them are doing the prototypical New York yuppie thing, where you know they lived in New York and now they're starting to have kids, and now they're moving to New Jersey and Connecticut, yeah, and taking yeah. the train in and everything. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's interesting to hear. And my my sister lived in Hoboken for like 15 years. Oh, that's wow. a cool place. Yeah. 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 So. Well, you want to talk about taxes? The two states you just mentioned, we yeah. would never touch Jersey or Connecticut, yeah. you know, um, even if we hit lotto or something. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it it's it's it doesn't make sense to spend your money that way. I mean, I grew up poor, so I want to make that dollar go far. Yeah, I actually and, wrote, you know, you, you guys shined a light on the book. I, I wrote uh, Retire Y'all, Your Guide to Retiring in the State of South Carolina. I actually wrote the book uh, on retiring in the state of Connecticut. It's called Retire You Guys, <laughs> Your Guide to Retiring in the State of Connecticut. It's one oh. page. It says leave. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. That's a good one. All right. All right. Let's get All back right. to South Carolina. What about um, how far is the is the airport? And that, is it? Is it close enough to the city? Yeah, yeah. The Charleston airport is, um, it's just turning into an international airport, right? So you could fly to oh, London there. Nice. Um, it used to be kind of like a little hub type thing, get you to Chicago and Dallas and New York and Miami. And uh, now there's a couple different airlines that just came in. It's flying all over the place. Myrtle Beach has a surprisingly beautiful airport. Every time I walk in there, I'm like, where am I? This is mm. like, I feel like I'm in a, you know, some Asian country that has a really nice airport. From what mm -hmm. I hear, I've never even been in Asian airports, but when I hear it, you can eat off the floor. Um, so wow. it's beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah. But Myrtle beach, Myrtle beach is interesting because you can fly so inexpensively there. Part of I think the it's just mainly because they got spirit airlines, right? Like okay. spirit airlines. I think you, you basically, you have to pay for your peanuts and water and <laughs> yes, yeah. help them, help them, get the plane off the ground but also front, um, <laughs> frontier which is also which is similar oh yeah front, front yeah frontier is one of the discount providers not quite like spirit but yeah it's cheap to get down there i tell you what i, I mean i I've, I've been vying for my friends up your way like hey you know getting tired of covid lockdowns get on an airplane come down to charleston spread out for a little bit yeah. and uh it's cheap you're right you know we were going to fly from where my son is from uh, uh providence, providence. To to uh, Myrtle Beach, and I think it was forty dollars. Yeah, as opposed to three hundred to JFK to go to New York. Yeah, well, there, and, there's a big old, if you go up to Myrtle Beach, there's a big old billboard that says twenty dollar helicopter rides. Whoa! And every time I drive by the billboard, I go, I'd rather pay you fifty dollars for the helicopter ride. Yes, like sometimes <laughs> I don't feel real warm and fuzzy about buying a forty dollar plane ticket. I wonder what, <laughs> what you know. Well, you're younger than us, but we used to fly. Uh, People's Express or Continental, People's I think. Express. And, and um, that, was, that was really crazy because you you pay on the plane. Right. Right. These people would move <laughs> up and down the aisle. The, like a the flight attendants. Yes, yeah, the yes, flight yes. attendants. You paid on and the plane. And they're like, 
you hand over the credit card and, and the flight attendant would just, you know, swipe you. In. It was that so... was when there was first deregulation with right. the airline. And yeah. we thought that was normal, right, Gene? We were in college. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. People used to clap when you landed. <laughs> they still do that. The good they old still, days. They still do that. All right. I, I just have a couple of things to mention about your um the way your your financial life has gone. It, it's one thing funny thing I read, and, and maybe your wife wouldn't like this, but apparently you met at a Cha Cha's tequila bar on taco on dollar taco night. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. I say that proudly. I didn't swipe I love that. right or left. <laughs> I had the, the the courage to walk up to a lady and ask her if I can buy her a drink and would you like to play some pool with me? Aww. Um and that's how we met. That's You're how not a shy know, boy, if my, Adam. If my children if my children, you know what I love about podcasting is these things live in the ether for years and years and years. Yeah. So if my children ever listen to this, not everyone meets their significant other through a smartphone application. It's okay to go up to people and conduct a conversation and introduce yourself to people. <laughs> the darn manhood crisis in this country. So, <laughs> oh my so I'm, 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 I, I say that proudly. And I also say that because it tells you everything you need to know about my wife and I, right? Oh. Uh, I own an investment company. We employ, I think like 16 people. And wow. Oh, wow. I've had more success than I ever thought was imaginable, but I drive a Hyundai. Oh. Um, my wife, you know, her beauty is only trumped by her frugality. Um, <laughs> so we met at Dollar Taco Night at Chacha's Tequila Bar. And she I, I love that. Prefer, she would prefer me tell people we met at church or reaching for the same watermelon at the grocery store. But that's not how it happened, Ben and Brooks and our unborn baby girl. Okay. So, and, and do you plan on, do you th- you're very young, but do you think you'll retire in South Carolina? You think you'll stay there? Yeah, without a doubt. So we just got back from Hawaii and um, anywhere. Oh, where where traveled, did you go? Where did you we go? To Maui. Oh, OK. We were on the big island. We were just there a few yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Few, yeah. yeah, I was there the 10th through the 16th, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I tell you what. I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I don't think I'm going back there anytime soon. The, the too much travel. Like I'm yeah. still oh. a week after having landed. I, oh I woke up this morning at three in the morning. I'm like, what? I don't know what day you, of the week it is. What are you kidding? We've been back about three weeks and I am living on Hawaii. Time. We feel the same way. Yes. And, yeah. And I, Granted, the, the geography's cool and everything, you know, the mountains and everything. But I, I, I feel like I could get the same fix down in the Caribbean and be on the same time zone and get home in three or four hours rather than uh, 18. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Anyways, oh, no, I, I want to take... Ho- Maybe you want to do a Hawaiian show, you know, so let's not shame them too much. No, we, ha- we did. We have done. We, we have did. Done. Oh, you did Look. it. And the Look. woman was wonderful. The reason we brought it up, though, was because every place I travel, my wife and I say the same thing. We are like thrilled to be back in Charleston. Like Charleston has everything for us. We've got an awesome beach. We've got a cool city downtown with the, some of the nicest restaurants in the whole country. It's, it's got the perfect temperature and, and climate. And like, I love our where we're from. And, and when you when you say, hey, Adam, are you going to retire there? Well, I've never lived in a place. And I lived in Park City, Utah. I lived in Philadelphia. I lived in a, a few different places. Um, I've never lived in a place that I look forward to going home so much as, a, really? as Charleston. Wow. That speaks volumes. I feel that way about Brooklyn. I guess maybe we're not never going to leave. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> what is what is puff? You mentioned puff something. What is that? Pluff mud. Pluff mud. Yeah, pluff mud. What is that? 
Yeah. So people in South Carolina, there's a saying, you've got pluff mud in your blood. Pluff mud is like a silty mud that you'll see in a lot of like the, the tidal creeks. Charleston has a very high tide. It raises six feet. So there's little tidal creeks. And if you were to jump in them, you'd probably wind up waist deep in mud. It's almost like quicksand, but pluff mud. But, oh I, you know, you, you, you bring up something, though. So before I moved to Charleston, I thought the lion's share of the people that were actually going to hire me were going to be fellow carpetbagging Yankees. And, you know, people who, who had pluff mud in their blood and are American by birth, but Southern by the grace of God, wouldn't dare work with me because I didn't say y'all and I wasn't a blue blood and I didn't mm-hmm. speak Bubba. And the funny thing is about my first year in business, not knowing a soul here, I was hired by nothing but native Charlestonians and native South Carolinians. Interesting. And it, it tells you a lot about this place. I know people from the outside looking in think everyone in Charleston is a a Confederate flag waving, uh, dim-witted Southerner. Maybe I'm just you know hamming it up a little bit, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not the case. In, in, if anything, I would say South Carolina puts a premium on values, kind of looking you in the eye, shaking your hand. I know this stuff sounds kind of hokey and corny, like we're in Mayberry or something, but it is the truth. Mm-hmm. I would not have the success I had without these people putting a little trust in me when there wasn't much to trust mm-hmm. and go figure. It was all of those um, Yankees who I thought were going to hire me. Cause I, I spoke fast and I used to work on the Philadelphia stock exchange and I worked at a hedge fund and all that. Those were the people looking at me going, well, Adam, you're not all that established. You haven't been here that long. So uh, I'll come in. Now those are the people who are knocking my door down <laughs> and I've been in business for 10 years and I've had all this success. Like, Adam, help yeah. me with my money. Well, it's too late. I'm not taking on clients anymore personally. So um, <laughs> I'm saying that kiddingly, but uh, but that's what happened. You know, so the native Charlestonians are not a bunch of backwoods hicks. They are good, solid, cultured people. Um, you know, there's a joke about New York. Um, what was Superman's number one superpower? He can carry on a conversation without telling you he's from New York, right? <laughs> not to pick fun of you. <laughs> but you come to South Carolina, like, you know, it, we're happy to have you. We love you being here. Tell me about your family. I don't care what bank you work for. Uh, don't you dare look at me through your nostrils. And no, we don't want South Carolina to look like New York. I know you miss this and that and the other thing, but you came down. to So I call it South Carolina guilt. And maybe we're getting political here, so I'll tread lightly. But what I see happens often is people will come to South Carolina and they're absolutely charmed. They look at palmetto trees and, ooh, I saw a lizard and look at the alligator and I love it here. The golf is great. I went to Sullivan's Island. I had shrimp and grits. Like they love everything about it. But then out of the right side of their mouth, they'll go, oh, but the school system here is backwards. I wish it was more like New York, right? Or they'll say, you know, but this is bad. And it's okay to miss things from your home and it's okay to want better, but don't come down here and then try to assimilate and be charmed by all the charming things, but then want your McMansion to be bill. And like, that's one thing I can tell you as a, as a, as a carpet bagging Yankee and as someone who's got boots on the ground and talks to lots of native Charlestonians, 
And I think it would be the same thing in Brooklyn. Imagine if a bunch of sweet tea drinking Southerners moved to your block block in, in, in Brooklyn. I don't think you would be nearly as charming as Charlestonians uh, if people moved up to Brooklyn and said like, oh, I wish there was more collard greens around here and all these fast talking Yankees. Like you would probably take them out in the streets and beat them up there in New York. That's your guy's uh, uh, OK, OK. You can stop right there. That's not us. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just I, I, I know, I know, I know. I, I will kidding, say but, but, I and I don't want to, you know, I, I I will say that where we are. And and this is not necessarily a plug for Brooklyn, but the diversity here is incredible. And that is what one of the things that I want to look, you know, look for, because I want to feel at home. I don't want to be looked at in any way unless there's like, you know, an orange on my nose, you know, like a big, um, <laughs> I don't know, like a piece of, ice, you know, a, a ice cream on my face or something. But but at the end of the day, you have to feel comfortable and. And we are in a diverse area. I mean, Bay Ridge is probably not as diverse as Park Slope. I give you that. I think in general, that is the key. I mean, we went to Hawaii because I thought maybe that would be a place for us to retire because I could walk around and no one would say, hey, where are you from? And if I say Brooklyn, they go, but where are you really from? And they want to hear China. And I've never been there. You know, yeah. I was born in South America because various reasons my parents went there. But um, at the end of the day, I don't want to be noticed, you know, so 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 long as they're warm and they don't see me as where are you from, then I'm good. You yeah, know what I'm that's a that's a unique, you know, challenge, because as you can see from our Zoom video, I'm I'm like white bread. The uh, you know, I look like just like the Caucasian male. So I don't have to <laughs> deal with stuff like that. But I, I have heard this about diversity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, so some people are, um, I, I, I had this conversation with a, a girl at a playground, right? Where she had just moved here from Chicago and she goes, Oh, I love it here. That South Carolina guilt thing where I love it here, but you know, I just wish it had a little bit more diversity. Hmm. Um, and my response to her was, why did you move to the whitest zip code in all of Charleston if diversity was such an important thing for you? Maybe you wow. should have moved over to these areas. There's areas yeah, that are yeah. more. She just so happened to move to the one area that is, you know, dominated by Caucasian people. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, there, there, there is a rub on, on South Carolina to that effect, right? It's, it's not a cultural melting pot by any stretch right mm. now here again with all the individuals moving here that will that will change in short order mm -hmm. um but certainly charleston I, I i would not i don't think people go there to witness a multitude in fact that's one of my biggest frustrations having lived in philly and mm -hmm. you know when you go eat food at philly if you eat italian food you know uh grandma maria is in the back fixing up her gravy Right. Or you can go to Chinatown and, mm -hmm. and, and you can go to different areas and eat authentic ethnic cuisine. Right. That's been prepared for you by people in Charleston. You're going to get shrimp and grits and fresh mm -hmm. fish. And, <laughs> and and look, we got all the restaurants, the five stars and everything. But I'll, I'd our bargain to say I've had better meals um, in hole in the walls in Philly oh, yeah. or Brooklyn yeah. mm -hmm. than what you're going to get in Charleston because probably of what you're hinting at that cultural diversity thing. Yeah. 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 No, not a hint there. Not a hint. I was pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Gene, is there anything else? No. Do, do you have anything? Um... Yeah. Adam, any 
parting wisdom words for future retirees? Parting wisdom words would be start doing some math. Everyone is making their decisions based off of fear. And I think if you sat down and you put together that measuring stick, you might be pleasantly surprised that you can retire sooner than you thought were possible and with more money. And then finally, if you're thinking about retiring in the South, even though I just shoot everyone away, come on down to South Carolina. You know, I think what's happening is a lot of people look at Florida as purgatory because they watch their, I know my parents are perfect examples of that. They watch their parents die in Florida, but they won't, they don't want to shovel snow. Right. Mm -hmm. So they go, all right. Uh, and they want to be on the East coast. So it's, you know, Georgia or South Carolina and, and really South Carolina is checking all the boxes as far as fun and entertainment and so come check it out. And I, and I would recommend you check out all three of those places. My parents were considering retiring in Charleston. And I, I, I always said, that's not this. You don't want to be in Charleston. You want to be in Myrtle Beach because my parents are, are, you know, Connecticut Yankees. And dad doesn't give a crap about saying y'all. He just wants to golf, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're happy as clams up there in Myrtle Beach. They've made all kinds of friends and they love it. Oh, and you great. might be the type of person who wants to be in Hilton Head, right? Like you like living in the gated community with your golf course and, mm-hmm. or you want to be in Charleston. I don't know. Just go check out those different places. Maybe even Greenville's for you, you know, up up, mm-hmm. up in the upstate more. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, check out all those different places and um, pick up a copy of the book, right? Yeah. I wrote a book called Retire Y'all, Your Guide to Retiring in the State of South Carolina. It's the only book ever written about retiring in the state of South Carolina uh, therefore, nice. it's the number one best-selling book of all time <laughs> about retiring in the state of South Carolina. So pick up the copy of the book and uh, thank you guys so much for, I love what y'all are doing with this this podcast platform and, and thank you so much for even thinking about me and uh, having me on it. No, thank you. Thank yeah, you. This has been great. wonderful. Thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And uh, we may call you and uh, ask you a couple of uh, financial <laughs> tidbits of wisdom or maybe we will come and visit you there you go there you go <laughs> come on down and visit me we'll take you guys for a boat ride we'll oh nice shark teeth, oh, dolphins. shark teeth okay good good all right listen take care it's been wonderful really yeah thank Pleasure. you, guys. Thank you have so a great much. day okay you too, you too. bye we hope you've enjoyed this episode if you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.